You know, we've been talking in, in Galatians. And uh, we are look, going to look at this morning um, primarily in Galatians 4. But we've been looking at the book of Galatians here for the last three weeks. And we understand that this book and many of the New Testament books that we see all throughout, um, were, a lot of them were written by Paul. And uh, Paul was a great pastor slash church planner. This guy could just plant some great churches, and he did. He did it through all, all throughout, and, and uh, this is one of the churches that he planted in Galatia, uh, which would be located what we would consider as modern-day Turkey. And so what Paul would do is he would go, he would plant these churches, then he would rise up leaders within the church, all right? He'd rise up some leadership within it, and then when he felt comfortable, he gave it over to them, and then he would go on to the next calling that God gave him to begin to do the same thing, plant some more churches, and, and make a difference, trying to do what? Fulfill the Great Commission, right? Fulfill the calling of God, and that is for all of us, and that is simply this, to take the Word of God throughout all this world. Paul gives us some great truths. Week one, we understood that there are two different types of gospels or even brands of Christianity. You have the one gospel or brand of Christianity that is based solely upon the law. And then you have the other one that is based solely upon grace. Then we looked in week two where we have a tendency to go back and forth between those gospels in our lives. You know, we've all done that. You know, when we place judgment on people, what are we doing? We're serving the gospel of the law. When we're showing grace and love toward people and forgiveness, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're serving the gospel of what? Grace. Last week, Paul explained to us about grace. And we looked at it, that it is a gift that we cannot earn, but rather it what? It fuels our relationship with God. So today, what we're going to take a look at is something that really holds all of this together. And it's the idea of relationship. Paul kind of defines it as a sonship, you know. And, and in other words, if you leave this part out, none of the rest of what we have talked about in the last three weeks can even come together and make sense. Um, God never, what I want you to understand is, is that God never intended for him to be a religion. He intended for him to be all about what? Relationship. Now understand this, that the term son or sonship that we see many times throughout the Bible is not referring to a specific gender, but is referring to us as a whole, as the body of Christ. Watch this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, this is what the word says. He says, you are all my what? You are all sons. Sons of what? Sons of God. Meaning we are what? You are all the son of God. We are all male and female. We're part of the family. So you are all sons of God through faith in who? Christ Jesus. Now let's take a look in Galatians chapter 4 for a minute. In verses 4 through 7. The scripture says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So just focus. Let me repeat that part just real quick, all right? Because I love that. Born under the law to do what? Redeem those 
under the law. So that we can do this, that we might receive adoption. Now, this is what I love. This is something great, miraculous happens here. That we receive adoption, what? To sonship. Meaning what? We are now part of the family. Because you are his sons, meaning what? Male and female here, the whole church. That you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his sons. No no more of a prouder moment there. That God sent his son so that his spirit can dwell with us. That is so key for us. That is so important because I, I love where it says that we might receive what? Adoption. Now, here's what I want you to understand here. And, and, and try to follow me here if you can. We see throughout the Old Testament, and we can also see in different places, especially in Hebrews, where we, we specifically see where God called an individual what? His friend. We see that who was his friend that the Bible says? Abraham. Calls him his friend. This is something that is done through what? The law. Under the law is when that friendship was there. But now we can see a transitional moment that is very important for us as a church to grasp. Maybe you've not seen this before quite like this. And and I hope that I can explain it in, in a way that you can understand it. But in the Old Testament, it was about the law. And the law specifically said Through Abraham, we can see an example of it, that the closest that you can get to God is to be merely just what? A friend. But now we see something totally different in this verse that says now because Jesus was sent under the law to redeem those who are what? Under the law, you are now becoming adopted into sonship which means now we are part of family. Who knows that there's, watch this, blood is thicker than water, isn't it? I am not just a friend of God. I am family. I am a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. If that doesn't just change your thinking and your mentality, then I don't know what else does. Because when I think to myself, God doesn't look at me as he looked at Abraham. He doesn't look at me as he looked at Noah. He doesn't look at me as he looked at David. He doesn't look at me as he looked at Moses. He looks at me as his son or as his daughter because now we have become what? Adopted into the family of God. All right, it goes on to say, into our hearts. In other words, what? We need this spirit within inside of us. It needs to be there. It goes on to say, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now we are addressing God relationally. Here's a moment where we're, we're expressing that he is what? Our Father. We're not doing it in a religious manner. We're doing it in a relational manner. You know, I'll stop there for a second. Uh, there's times where you know, my sons think they're funny, especially Carter. If I say something, he'll go, okay, Pastor Kevin. I'm so sorry. I might be your pastor, but I'm your daddy first. You know what I mean? Popping, you know. Okay, Pastor Kevin. 
You know, you can't, I mean, it's kind of, I, I want to laugh. You know what I mean? And, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, it is whatever. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but we are what? God's child. Say that. I am God's child. Okay, say that one more time. I am God's child. All right, that's awesome. And since you are his child, God is also what? God has made you also an heir. Understanding, you know, we've been, we've been taught a lot about this. Um, but for some of us, it's, it, at times and seasons, it, it becomes foreign to us. We, we often see God as what? Distant. Um, we, we see him as a, a, a hovering cloud, so to speak, ready to strike us in a moment. You, you, we've all joked about that before, where we said something and go, oh, whoa, God might strike me for that one. All right? Or am I the only one? I'm the pastor, and I say that, you know? But sometimes we, we, we see God as being something that, yes, he is, but he's more than that. Never losing our sight that he is not an authoritative figure because he is, but even more so, he re, he's a relational figure by being our father. So how do I distinguish between being uh, under the law as merely being a slave versus being family or being a son? Watch this. Your first point, the slave has a what? Master. That's portrayed as someone who is always mad, demanding. For some of us, this is what our mindset of who God is. And, and I, I have to say that we're missing the mark. I don't see God as demanding of our lives. If he was so demanding, why would he have ever created free will? I tell this to, to many people, and, and I've said this many times standing here. The greatest gift he ever gave us was his son. But the second greatest gift he ever gave us was free will. Because then we can, what, develop a love toward him and not a have-to mentality. Um, so what's the contrary? We are to see the son what has a father what is a father father is fun he's loving laugh it's about relationship in fact while jesus was on this earth he had such a relationship we see this through scripture where the disciples literally had to do what peel the children off of him now that is that is the greatest children's pastor of all time right think about that think about that type of love you don't see where it says that the disciples had to peel the adults off of him, do you? It says what? The children. Why? Because the children have it right. They have the purest mind. They respect the authority, but they also see the relational side of it. I love that part. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16 says this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Let me repeat that. You need to understand that. But the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live fear in fear again. In other words, if we're afraid of God, then we're, then we're living in it as a slave mentality. 
but rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption into what? The family, into sonship. Again, I'm not just a friend of God. I'm part of the family of God. He is my father. And by him we cry, what? Abba, Father. You know, this is the term that they use literally as dad or daddy. Think about that for a moment. (laughs) When's the last time you allowed that prayer life just to become so personal and laid back and not so structured and rule-oriented? When is the last time you were able to, you know, I don't go to my dad and say, Ronnie G. Stanley. When I talk to, hey, dad, how you doing? How's things going? Here's my problem. Here's what I got going on at church. Help me fix it. You know? I go to him in a personal manner. Do you not think that God wants you to go to him in a personal manner? When my sons come to me and they go, Pastor Kevin, I don't want that. I'm going to shut you off. Or get very upset with you. I'm your father. I love it when they go, daddy. You know, the other day, Carter said, dad, it broke my heart. I said, my Lord, where's the daddy at? I want that Y on the end, man. You know what I mean? That makes it what? Important to me. Relational. And I sat there and I thought to myself, I said, wow, if it affects me that way, how much more does it affect God himself? My, my attention when they go daddy is far more important than when it goes Pastor Kevin. You know? Why? Because he's showing a relationship. That there's a love between us. Do you love your heavenly father? Let me ask you that. Do you really love him? Do you love what Jesus has done in your life? Then show it. When you pray and let me ask you this. How do you address God? When you, how you address him determines the type of relationship that you have with him. Here's another mentality. The slave is an employee. Now, have you ever been to a restaurant? This frust- frustrates me, all right? And you go to a restaurant and you look in the dining room and there's not that many people there. Okay, not that many people sitting in seats or anything like that. And, and the host or hostess goes, that'll be about 20, 30 minute wait. Are you serious? You obviously don't want my money. I think to myself, if the owner would be there, what would they do? Come sit down. Come, we need your money. We're not mere employees. We're in a relationship with this thing. If we are serving God and don't see Christianity as part of the family business, hello. When we take on that type of mentality, it changes everything. So I can understand I'm not an employee of God. I am what? The son of an heir. Or the son is an heir. We are family. In other words, this. It is my business to help grow the church. And I don't mean just this, I'm talking about the body of Christ. It is my responsibility. It is your responsibility. Let's not make people wait for someone else to bring them Christ 
when you are perfectly capable of doing it yourself. That same spirit that was with Christ himself is the same spirit that is with inside of each one of us. Watch this. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and what? Co-heirs with Christ. In God's mind, we become a part of everything he has, just as Jesus was. Everything God has, he wants you to have. You are part of his family. You are what? His children. You're his kids. So then we are part of the family business. Is it not our, not our responsibility to take what he gives us and to share it with others? One of the hardest things we have with our four-year-old right now is sharing. He does not like to share. He doesn't like to share his mom either. You know? He doesn't like to share. He has a hard time with that. Well, as a parent, we've got to break it. Because if we don't break it, he's going to be one of them kids that nobody wants to be around. You know what I'm talking about? We don't want that. So what do we do? We force him to share. He's kicking, screaming. He don't want, especially with his brother. He doesn't want to do it. So what do we do? We set guidelines. We set rules. Watch this. So that why? We can break a habit. But what he understands more importantly is that we're doing it out of the spirit of love so that what he ought to do becomes what he wants to do. Many times we don't like how God has to break us of some habits or some ways about us, but he does it. Why? So we do what we ought to do. Therefore, it becomes what we want to do because he does it through what? Love compassion, understanding, and the big one, forgiveness. So we understand that we are heirs of him. Philippians chapter 2, um, verses 12 through 13 says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. In other words, don't work hard to get saved, work hard to share it. Obeying God with what? Deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire, which is something new, something different. And the power, in other words, what is he doing there? He's beginning to equip us to do what pleases him. I love that part. Because what is God doing? He's breaking us down. He's remolding us. He's working in us to do something. Could you put that back up, please? He's working in us, and it's creating what? A new desire within our lives. Rhetorical question. Don't answer it. But think. Is there some desire in your life that you wish you could do without? Is there some things within your life that you, you go, I don't want this in my life any longer. I don't like these temptations. I don't like this struggle. Well, watch this. When we allow God to work in us, he begins to create a new desire, which gives us a power. In other words, he equips us so that we can do the work that pleases him. 
In other words, when we start doing right within the relationship, these desires and passions begin to change. I said two weeks ago, some of you need to make the statement in your life and say, no. This will no longer be a part of my life. I'm not going to allow myself to be caught up in these such activities and this type of language or talk. I'm going to be allowing myself to be a part of the things that God wants for me. Why? So that my relationship with God can grow and my desires and passions can change. The slave is driven by duty. In other words, you have to do it. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray because, you know, Pastor Kevin's going to say something about reading the Bible and praying and every message that he does. And I don't want to sit there and feel guilty. This is the truth. Because I know sitting there when I was and these spiritual disciplines we've made up and I would go, oh, I know. I know. It needs to happen. I know. It's time. It's been overtime, guys. It's time for us to get real. It's time for you to become serious with them. It's so cliche when I hear preachers say the same thing that I'm saying, but it's the truth. When are we going to change our mindset? When are we going to say enough is enough? I need to be driven by relationship, not by duty. The son is driven by devotion. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 says this. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. Now understand that, you know, they both loved Jesus. And, and they both wanted to give something to him. But they were doing it in what? Two different ways. Two different spirits. So the scripture goes on to say, She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's like a sibling rivalry going on here. Jesus' response, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen, in other words, this isn't a feeling, but this is a choice. Mary has chosen what is what, what is better. Now, you can make the choice about how your relationship with God is going to be. Here's what I do. I tell all my married couples, I, I did a, a, a ceremony yesterday. It was beautiful. It was a great place. I loved it. Vinka Breland and uh, Heath Calger got married. And it was a fantastic time. I absolutely loved it. And uh, as I do with all the couples that I marry uh, here within the last couple years, I sit them down. We go through five sessions um, of, of a premarital counseling. And it's a great time. You get to really see their true selves, too. <laughs> It's entertaining for me. Remember, I like to push the buttons. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't do that in that setting. But um, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's a good thing for them to go through. And um, I look at them all and, and I go, you know, love isn't a feeling, guys. Love is a choice. 
you're making a choice to marry that person. And you're making a covenant between the person and with you. And watch this. There's going to be times where you're going to go through. i got to be careful. Tread very carefully in this. There's going to be times when you're going to go through that marriage and that relationship. And you're going to be like, I'm not feeling it right now. It's not about feeling. It's about choice. Choice says, through it all, I'm going to stick it out. Choice says, when things are rough and when things are going great, I've made a choice and a covenant, and I'm standing firm with it. So how do we do all of this? These things, how do, how do we make this a reality within our lives? Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 says this. Formally, when you did not know God, meaning the slave version of you, or the work version, or the employee version, right? You were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather known God, or known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So how do I get to know him? Watch this, number one, see God as a father. Whenever you come to God, what does he look like to you? How you view God is what your relationship is with him. What you think of him or what you think he is like will determine how you will relate to him. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11 says this, Which of you, if his sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That, is, that, is, that should blow your mind. Jesus was revolutionizing people's mindsets. God is not this lightning bolt, pillar of fire and smoke type of God. He is what a Father who is wanting to give to us. The problem that we face is that some of us have had bad earthly examples of what a father should be. What I want you to understand here is this. The enemy knows the best way to distract you in your relationship with your heavenly father is to attack you through the relationship with your earthly father because you will relate the two together. So when we can see when there's a distraction that is trying to take place, we need to recognize that and understanding it is not the person that we are upset with, but rather we should be upset with the, what? The enemy for what he's trying to do by causing a divide or a division between us and our heavenly father. So secondly, here's what we need to do. Approach God through relationships and not rules. Every home has a set of rules. But we also know that there's those times where we show favor. I can always tell now when Carter wants something because he'll approach me with so much fakeness. And the, I mean, I believe he really means it, 
but it's fake at the time. Oh, daddy, I love you. I bet you do. What do you want now for Fortnite? You know what I mean? That type of deal. Oh, daddy, I love you. Dad, daddy, daddy, oh man, you know what? This is great, isn't it? Uh-huh, it sure is. What do you want? And then he spits it out and answers, no. And uh, it just becomes a big ordeal. You know, but there are those moments where you know that there's a genuine desire for something and, and it's not made up, right? And, and what do you want to do? Sometimes you just want to surprise your kids with something. something. Maybe they've been wanting it and you've been saying no for so long and then all of a sudden you just surprise them with something. Why? Because there's a favor moment. You really care about them. You really love them. We see in that scripture that we just read where God, if we as the evil, to say it that way, but we have an evil nature with, about us, a sinful nature. If we give to our children, how much more is our earthly, or excuse me, our heavenly father wanting and desiring to give to us? He is wanting to open up the windows of heaven and to just feel blessing into your life. What should we do? Lord, I receive it. Bring it and what bring it, God, right? John 5, 39 through 40 says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess, you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Here's what I try to do within my life. My goal to read the Bible is not to get through because it's what I'm supposed to do, but is to do this. I want to find Jesus in the Bible. When I have a time of prayer, it's not to go through the pattern of prayer or the habit of prayer. It's because I need to find Jesus, what? In prayer. When I'm here at the church serving, it's not just because it's my job and what I'm supposed to do. It's so that I can find Jesus and take him to more people. That should be all of our mentality. All of our lives. In your prayer time. In your study time. On your job. Within your family. Everything we should do. Lord, I want to find you in it. And so that you can allow me to share you through it. So that brings us to our last thing. I'm going to close here. That we are to give God what? Give God my whole heart. My whole heart, going all in, <clears throat> that means everything. I'm, I'm not just going to be partial. I don't want to be partial in this relationship. Nobody wants to be partial in their marriage. Nobody wants to be partial in a friendship. You're either all in or you're nothing. God, I want us to be all in with this. Everything. I talked to a ministry friend the other day, and uh, he actually called me. And we were talking, and at first, I knew there was something more to the conversation, because this doesn't always happen with him and I. And uh, we were talking about some things that are pretty meaning, meaningless, really. And then all of a sudden, he switched the tone of the conversation and says, what do you think? <laughs> what do you mean, what do I think? That's a loaded question right there. So what do you think? I mean, do you, get ever, you ever get tired? Yeah, I do. You ever get tired of, you know, preaching and, and, and leading a church? Absolutely. I do. Sometimes I get wore out. Sometimes I just want to sit there and let somebody else stand here. So I can get fed for a minute. 
he went on to say, he's like, I'm struggling because I am wore out. I'm tired. And so I began to just ask those like thought provoking questions. Well, how's your life? What's your schedule like? What are you doing? What's going on? What's, what's happening? And he started listing all these activities and these things that he's a part of. And I said, wait a minute. I said, where's, where's the God time? You, you know, you're, you're telling me all of this. Well, yeah, I have God time. I said, no, obviously the God time's not priority because if it was, you would have said that first. I said, there's your problem. I said, when you get your God time in order, everything else in your schedule will fall into place according to how it needs to be for your life. And that's when you'll begin the experience of change. I said, right now you're not all in. You're only partially in because your schedule's not allowing you to be all in. I said, you need to make a change. Next time when I ask you, what are you doing? What's your schedule need look like? I want to hear that, well, this is what I'm doing with God first. And then everything else begins to fall into place. We need to understand that we need to go all in with this. Some of you, you're burned out. It's a struggle to come through these doors to wake up. You know, if you don't, you're going to see me in the community and I'm going to be like, hey, I missed you. And then you're going to feel like, oh, I got to go. Absolutely, you got to come. Because that's when change begins to take place. When we make a priority of God. Some of you need to change that schedule up. You need to get all in. You have not listened to hardly three quarters of what I've said this morning. Listen right now. Change it up. You don't like the pattern of your life? You can change that up. Begin to put God first. So cliche, but it's so real. God must be priority. God must be first. Then everything else begins to fall into place. It's so simple, but yet so hard for us to understand. Watch this, Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All of your hearts. And I love this stuff. I love this part. I will be found what? By you, declares the Lord. He's not going to find you unless you seek him. It means you got to do something on your end. You got to freely go after him. You got to make a motive. You got to take some initiative and do something. Stay with me this morning. My last thing for you would be this. Relationship changes everything. As I've been saying for several months now, God's presence changes everything. When we allow God's presence to be in our schedule, what does it change? Everything. When we allow God's presence to be within our marriage, what does it change? Everything. When you allow God's presence to be within your workplace, what does it change? Everything. When you allow God's presence, watch this, this sounds dumb, but it's so true, to be a part of your relationship with him, what does it change? Everything. It's not that difficult. It's in fact pretty simple to understand. It's very elementary. We just make it difficult. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. I want to ask this question before I go any further this morning. It is this. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, nothing will get changed. Plain and simple. Nothing will change. Change happens the moment we say, Lord, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Be my master. I love you. Save me. Today's the day of salvation. And I say this every service, and I don't do it out of routine. I do it because I genuinely care. My job is to win as many people to Christ as I possibly can. Then it is to disciple you. So my question this morning for you is if you don't know who Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to make that commitment today, or in fact, you want to recommit today, all I want you to do is slip that hand up. That's all you got to do. I see that hand. I see that hand and that hand. These two hands, those hands. I see those hands, that hand. I see that hand. Wow. That is fantastic. You know what? Let's pray this prayer. Lord Jesus. Now let's uh, start that over. I want you to say with boldness and confidence, enthusiasm. Lord Jesus. Today. I choose to serve you for the rest of my life. Today, Lord, is the day of salvation. Forgive me of my sins and accept me and adopt me into sonship. Lord, I love you. And from this day forward, I will serve you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. Now I'm going to change it up this morning. Last couple of weeks, you know, I, I never do an altar call the same. I, I, I flip them up all the time. So I'm going to flip it up again this morning. This is one of those messages that, that is just like, I got to do better. I need to do better. I know you need to do better. And I'm going to invite you to step out where you're at to come down here to the front. I'm going to put these guys on the spot. You're going to sing something, okay? And I want you to have a moment just with you and God. Nobody needs to lay a hand on nobody. I want this to be a personal moment between you and God. Don't worry about your spouse, what they're doing. Don't worry about what your kids are doing. We got them taken care of. Don't worry about your food that you're going to eat because you're going to eat later. This is a moment between you and God. This is your first moment, your first step of going, my schedule is going to be different. I'm going to put God first. So step out. Come on. Come down here.